You guys gotta love it, right? I love watching these fishing fails every week because it reminds me how much I hate fishing. And I don't need to have any part of that. I, I don't enjoy it. It's never been fun for me. Everybody always tells me it's relaxing, but I've never thought, hey, this is so relaxing. I've never caught a fish in my life, and I just don't really care to, especially now that I'm vegan. If you don't know me, my name's Kyle. My name probably was on the screen for a second before that showed up, uh, but I, I'm vegan. Okay? First thing you get to know about me, and so I'm going to catch the fish, and then I'm going to feel bad for it that some human had to ruin its habitat, and then I'm going to throw it back and be like, what was the point of that? I could have just sat here and enjoyed the sunset. Man. Um, We have a number of high schoolers right now who love fishing. And I think to myself, Kyle, you should take some of these guys fishing. It would be a great discipleship opportunity to just hang out with them in a small group. And then I come to my senses and I'm like, you would hate that. You hate fishing. It would be miserable. So I just want to be really upfront with you. We're in this series called Go Fish, and I hate fishing. Okay, so here I am. That's the truth. Do any of you guys love fishing? Raise your hand. Anybody like me, you're just like, nope, I don't get it. I don't like fishing. We had a hand go up fast. Love it. That's me. The, the small hands are like, I don't really care. But the fast hand, that's me. Um, so our series, we've been talking about fishing for people, thank goodness, not fishing for fish, or else I would be really unqualified to be up here. Um, and the last two weeks we've been talking, we've been gearing up towards Easter, challenging you, encouraging you uh, to fish for people in your world. Um, but let me be clear, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you just haven't got it the last couple weeks. We do not mean to literally take a fishing pole and go out and fish for people. That would be weird and crazy. You would hurt somebody. Cops would probably get called. You'd blame us, and we'd say we don't know you. So that is not what we mean. Um, please do not do that. If you do that, say Gary told you to do it. Um, <laughs> so then, then it begs the question, like, what does it really mean to fish for people? And that's kind of what we've been trying to address. Uh, but if I'm being honest with you, as I've been preparing and listening the last couple of weeks, I'm just not sure if I know. What does that really mean? Uh, it may be for you it means um, something, and for me it means something else. It might mean inviting your neighbor over for dinner. It might mean moving to a new country. It might mean sitting with a stranger at lunchtime, or it might mean inviting somebody to a church service, like Easter. And it's just not super black and white what it means to fish for people. And so I think that's where I've gotten caught up, at least. Um, But here's what I do know. Here's something I know, and I think this is good. And when I thought of it and I wrote it down, I was like, hey, that's profound. You should say it twice. So I'm going to say it twice for you, okay? I can't fish for people in your life, and you can't fish for people in mine. I can't fish for the people in your life that are in your sphere of influence, that are in your circle, and you can't fish for the people of mine. And then, then that led to me to um, a, an Andy Stanley quote. Andy Stanley is a pastor of a church in Atlanta. Um, he's kind of my ministry man crush is what I call him because he's written some really cool books, and I feel like he's just pretty cool. Um, so he said this, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your obedience, And knowing, like, hey, I can't go into your world and fish for you. So you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your obedience to fish in your world, in your life. And and you can't do it for me. And so I have, like, what, what hangs in the balance of my obedience to fish for the people in my world, in my life? And yes, because, you know, we live in community, there's some overlap, right? There's a little bit here or there. But you have a sphere that nobody else has. You have a sphere that nobody else has. It's unique. 
There's something unique about who you are and where you are. God has uniquely placed you in this time in history and in this city in 2019 on purpose. It was not accidental. God didn't just say, oh, I forgot about them. Let's place them over here, right? It was purposeful. Jesus came at a time in history that he did on purpose, for a purpose. The Father placed him where he did, around the people he did, and it was intentional. And so then Jesus fished for the people around him, and it was purposeful. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a story of Jesus fishing for his first disciples. And we've been reading from Matthew the last couple of weeks. This morning, I want to read this same story, but we're going to read it from Luke's perspective. I think Luke tells it really differently than Matthew and Mark, and he adds a couple of little details that are not included in Matthew and Mark. And so as we close our series this morning, I just wanted to give us a different perspective. You can start to turn there. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Before we read it or get any further, I'm going to pray for us this morning. God, thank you so much uh, for sending your son. Thank you for uh, teaching him what it looks like to fish, that he might be able to teach others and on and on down the line, that we would learn what it looks like to fish for people. Um, Would you give us courage as we need it? Would you give us eyes to see um, the people around us? Uh, Would you give us ears to hear your little promptings um, as we go throughout our days and our weeks? Um, Help us to follow you better, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to read from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, but um, I want to talk about Easter for just a second. So if you were turning there, that's awesome. Just throw your finger in that spot, put a pen there. Don't lose it because we're going to read that. Um, this morning in churches all around the world, people are celebrating what is called Palm Sunday. It comes from the last uh, week of Jesus' life where he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And if Jesus can ride ponies, why can't we? You know, so next week, pony rides, quick plug, we're going to be like Jesus next week, okay? Um, and so just to give us a little bit of uh, a snapshot of this, we're just, I'm going to read a couple verses out of John 12, 12 through 15, only three verses. Uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, but this is as Jesus is coming. It says, the next day, the, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, real fast. So this crowd and other versions of the same story, they're called his followers. So don't just think of them as a bunch of strangers that are in this crowd. These are people who have seen Jesus perform miracles. These are people who had been following Jesus for maybe a little bit, and they were collectively just called the crowd. Does that make sense with me? Yeah? Um, One thing that's really cool about the Gospels is that we can have these multiple accounts, and each one can give us a little bit more insight into what happened in that moment. And so this is what's happening here, too. Um, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Um, he was coming in to celebrate the Passover feast, an awesome Jewish celebration. It says in verse 13, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Okay, um, this was a good day in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry, in the history of our world. This was a good day. Jesus' followers, this crowd of people, knew who he was. And if you've read the gospel stories very much, you know at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he would perform a miracle, he would heal somebody, and then he would tell them, hey, don't go tell anybody what I just did. Don't go tell anybody who I am. And some people would listen, some people wouldn't. But here at the end of Jesus' ministry, he has people like proclaiming, who he is. And Jesus doesn't stop him. There's no need to keep him quiet anymore. The time has come. 
And so these people are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're declaring out loud Jesus to be king, to be the Messiah, to be the new David that they were hoping for, that the Jewish people were waiting for from the line of David to restore um, the kingdom of God and restore the people of God. This day, these people saw Jesus as their king. They had a right view of who God was. But what follows is nothing like what they would have expected. From this moment on, Jesus is increasingly at odds with the religious leaders. And on Monday, we would say the next day, Jesus goes into the temple and he, it's the story where he turns over the tables, the, the money changers, because he was angry that his father's house had become a place of business and not a place of worship. And on Tuesday, the religious leaders conspire all the more to kill Jesus. No longer does Jesus just need to be silenced. No longer do we need to just trap him saying the wrong thing so we can catch him and his followers won't follow him anymore. We just need to kill him. We need to get him out. So that happens on Tuesday. And then Wednesday is called a day of silence where nothing is recorded in the Gospels from this day. It's also called a day of rest. And I love it being called a day of rest more than a day of silence because I am sure Jesus needed some rest before what was about to happen before what he was about to walk through. So there's nothing recorded from this day. On Thursday, Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples. The reason they came into Jerusalem, this Jewish festival, uh, Jesus was very much Jewish. He followed the Jewish customs, and he's sharing this Passover meal with his disciples. And then he leads them in what we call communion today. It was, uh, he explained with them the beginning of a new promise, a new covenant between God and his people. And this was, this was radical, to say, I'm going to give you a new covenant. They're like, wait, what do you, we have covenants from the Old Testament. Like, they might not have asked him that question, but they, like, automatically their brains go to, like, which covenant are we doing away with? What are you talking about, right? And so for us, like, we just get so used to this, but for Jesus to tell them, a new covenant, I give you, I bring you. Like, that was radical for those people to hear. Radical. And this covenant is sealed by the bloody body and blood of Jesus. And then on Friday... The end of a long week. Jesus has been put on trial. He was considered not guilty of anything but given punishment anyway. He was beaten, bruised, mocked, spit upon, treated as dirt. His followers deserted him. And this was just days after being called king by those who followed him. By being declared, Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they say, peace out. We don't need you anymore. And ultimately, Jesus is nailed hands and feet to a cross and hung between two criminals, the worst way to die in Roman society. He was the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, mocked with a sign over his head that read, this is the king of the Jews. And just days before, there were people who spoke those words and believed it, and now they use those words as a way to mock him. People wept, religious leaders cheered, Romans were confused. This event in history changed everything for everyone, regardless of whether you believed in it or not. Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, then died. The earth shook, graves were open, and dead people walked out. The veil in the temple which separated God's space from our space was torn in two from top to bottom. The Roman soldiers who witnessed his death declared this must be the Son of God. This was unlike any other crucifixion they had ever seen before. And then, and then, thank the Lord, the story doesn't end. And then, there is an and then at the end of his death. And then, Like we're going to celebrate next week, Jesus rose. Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus came back. Jesus defeated death. Jesus paid the price. Jesus did it for you. And I believe he would have done it if it was just for you. If it was only you that would have said yes, if it was only you that would have heard and said yes to this message, he would have said, you were enough for me to go through this for. If it was just for you. And that, 
is why we fish. That central followers, if you're sitting in this room, you're like, I follow Jesus, that is why we fish. Because we believe this story is true. It's not a a, a fable. It's not um, something we just tell kids so that they'll act good and come to church on Sundays and live a good life. Like, if you really believe this story to be true, then we fish. And we fish, and we fish, and we fish, and we get hit in the face with a rod, and we fish again, and we fall out of the boat because it's slipping the other way, and we, and we fish again, right? Because we believe this story to be true, and we believe that if people would simply follow Jesus, they would be able to experience the love and forgiveness that we have experienced. This morning, my greatest question for you, before I get to some points I have for you, my greatest question for you None of anything else I'm going to say matters. This is the most important thing. This this question. Do you really believe this story is true? Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus died for you? Do you really believe that uh, his death was not just for everyone, but that everyone included you? Do you really believe that Easter happened? That there was a human being who died and then rose again and was in a tomb and then was no longer in a tomb anymore? Do you really believe that the earth shook? Do you really believe that the graves were opened and and saints walked out, is what the Bible says? Do you really believe that this veil was torn? Do you believe it? Do you say it? Do you talk about it? But do you believe it? Because if we really believe this to be real and the life that Jesus offers us is available, then we have the greatest motivation in the world to fish for people. If we really believe that what we're going to celebrate here next week is real, it changes everything. That belief is foundational to fishing for people. You can't go out and fish for people and do it well unless you really believe this to be true. And we've talked about fishing the last couple weeks, but I think this is so foundational. Do you believe that Jesus really walked and lived and died for you? It's from a place of belief that we become fishers of people. So let me give you three quick reasons why we fish, why followers fish. If you were here the first week, Tim coined that little phrase, followers fish. It's not followers can fish, followers might fish, it's just followers fish. Three quick reasons why. Number one, we fish because God first fished for us. He initiated relationship. He stepped down from heaven to become a man uh, that we might respond to his message and believe in him. We fish because we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And followers fish. That's just who they are. That is an identity piece, not a to-do list. It's not something we, we check off. It's, it's part of who we are. And thirdly, we fish because there are 1.7 million people in Santa Clara County who don't know Jesus. If the unsaved population in Santa Clara County were a country, it would be larger than Guam, Belize, Iceland, and the Bahamas all added together, and then you'd still have 400,000 people to spare. And that is a really big deal. Those numbers get Jesus fired up. Our hope is that those numbers get you fired up for the portion of that number that you come into contact with each and every week. Your job is not 1.7 million people. Your job is your people. Your job is your sphere, your, your group. Who do you come in contact with? So what does fishing for people really even look like? Well, let's jump into Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. So I gave us our reasons for fishing. I hope as we read this passage, you might even see some of these things pop up. But we're going to read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going I'm to hit this briefly because I know we've talked about this the last couple weeks um, of, of how we fish. But I think this story from Luke tells it in a really cool way. Um, 
you know a speaker is just biding time when they can't find the verse, you know? I'm like, <laughs> shoot, what do I say now? Um, all right, so here we go. Found it. Don't worry. I know how to use the Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, go ask Gary. He'll get you one. But I just want to encourage you guys, bring your Bibles. We open it up here every week, and I believe the Bible is real, and it's powerful, and so we read it. Uh, it says this, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in their other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Simon's, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up and on shore and left everything and followed him. In Matthew and Mark, what we've read the last couple of weeks, uh, more specifically, Jesus' words say, Come follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So here's three quick notes on fishing for people. Number one, fishing for people is an as-you-go mission. Luke starts off by saying, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake. It sounds like the beginning of any normal story, right? Like, uh, one day, Matthew, as he opens up this story in his version, says, As Jesus was walking beside the lake. It was something that, hey, I am living my life, I am going out, I am doing whatever I was going to do, and I fish. As I go, I'm on mission, Jesus says. As he lived his life, he had started his ministry, he had begun healing people, he was teaching things, and as he was doing those things, he wasn't just concerned about, here's my mission, here's what I'm doing, head down, go by the lake, get to where I need to go, but his head was up. And as he was going where he needed to go, as he was doing what he needed to do, he noticed the people around him. It was an as-you-go kind of mission. As he went, he fished. For us, we have to understand that um, you, in your life right now, fishing is something you can do. It is something that is attainable for you, available for you. It's not something that if I fix my life up, then I can start fishing for people. If I start to figure out how to say the right things, then I can start fishing for people. If I figure out what the Bible says, then I can start fishing for people. If you believe in Jesus, we fish for people. If you follow Jesus, we fish for people. Uh, whether you're married or not, have a job or not, have a car or not, go to school or not, no matter what your life looks like, you have the option, the choice, the, the possibility to live it missionally for other people, for the people in your path. Look up from your own life and your own issues and see the people that God places around you. Living missionally is simply living on mission. And what is our mission? To become more like Jesus. So I'm going to live my life to become more like Jesus, and Jesus was really, really good at fishing for people. Number two, second quick note, fishing for people involves relationship. In this instance, Jesus invited Simon and Andrew into a new kind of relationship, one that followed him. They left their jobs, left their family, and went into this discipleship, uh, teacher-disciple type of relationship where they just soaked up everything he said. And whether you are inviting somebody into a new relationship or you are fishing for somebody you are already in relationship with, fishing works best. Fishing is at its best when it involves relationship. 
Uh, yesterday, my family and I, we had this awesome family day. Um, we went uh, to the steam train and roaring camp, Henry Cow State Park. If any of you guys have ever been there, we took our um, almost three-year-old son and our baby girl. Um, it was awesome. He loved it. Literally, he just wants to be on the train all the time. He talks about trains every single day. Um, he loves being outdoors, so we just, we loved the experience. We went from there. We went down to Santa Cruz. We walked up and down the ocean. Um, we got up on the pier, saw the seals, sea lions, whatever they are. We heard people talking about it. I forgot which ones they are. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. You've probably been there. Um, so we just, we had this awesome day, and we go to have dinner in downtown Santa Cruz, and we're walking. We park our car, parking garage, walk to our sweet vegan restaurant. If you like uh, food in Santa Cruz. This is our favorite vegan spot. Um, and there was a guy standing on a ladder on a corner with a, with a microphone and a sign out that said, evolution is a lie. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, dot, dot, dot. And he's yelling at people about how their sins have separated them from God, about what the, God, about what the Bible says. And, and he's debating with these people. And people are walking up with their water bottles and spraying an Illuminati sign on the ground. And people are, are I'm standing in the crowd, so I'm hearing what people are saying. And they're like, I'm going to go to hell. You know, and they're, they're, they're making fun of him. That This was not an effective way to fish for people, I don't believe. And, and the reason I don't believe that is because it didn't involve any kind of relationship. He didn't know any of these people he was talking to. He didn't get to know them. He didn't ask them questions. He spoke at them. It was sad. Like, there's there's a thousand things that I wish I could have said to him. There's a thousand things I, I... I'm going to be my, my new self and stand up on a, and not stand up on my soapbox about that. And just know that, like, how many times have we all tried to... Have we all done the wrong thing with the right motive? Hundreds, right? So I don't, I don't think that this guy's a bad person, but I think he's got it mixed up. Right? And so as we fish for people, it's not get on the corner and fish for the random, you know, throw your nets out, see what comes back. I, I doubt he caught anybody. When we say fish for people, it's who's in your life, who's in your path, who has Jesus specifically placed around you, who are you in relationship with, who are your neighbors, who are your kids' uh, on your kids' softball team, soccer team, baseball team, basketball team. Those are the kinds of people that I think we fish for because there is relationship there. And Jesus, everything always involves relationship. Thirdly, quick little note, is that becoming a fisherman is, is Jesus' job to do in you and through you. I, I love Luke's story, but I love the way that Matthew and, Luke, uh, Matthew and Mark both say, I will make you become a fisher of men. It says Jesus will do the work. Jesus will do that, that work of making you a fisherman. It says our job is to follow him. Jesus gives us an invitation, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's Jesus' job to do in you and through you. Our job is to follow him. So what does it look like to follow him in your life? What does it look like to follow him with the people around you who are following Jesus? Because if we're following him, then we're going to begin fishing. Because that's what, he, that's what he will do in us and through us. The other way I want us to look at that is, is from Luke's, um, Luke's story here. I love the way Simon answered when Jesus said, hey, go, go throw out the nets. And Simon's response is like, we've been fishing all night. And we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will do so. It was doubt and then trust. Doubt and then trust. I've done it a hundred times. You really think it's going to work one more? Well, because you say so, I'll try. I've invited those people to church nine times. They always say no. Really, God, you want me to do one more? Because you say so, I will. Right? Or um, I've worked so hard. I had a long day at work. I got home. You really want me to help my neighbors move in? Well, because you say so. 
So, and, and I don't know, like, God might prompt you to do that. God might not prompt you to do that. That's, that's what makes fishing for people, I think, so gray area, not black and white. But I love that because how often we doubt and then Simon follows it up with trust. It's doubt and trust, doubt and trust. He listens to Jesus and then they catch so many fish that the boat can't hold it all. Simon didn't do that. Jesus did. Simon let out his nets. Jesus caught the fish. Simon trusted that Jesus knew what he was doing. And so he took the boat out into deep water. Jesus brought the fish. Simon had doubt, but his trust was greater than his doubt. Jesus brought the fish. Matthew and Mark's accounts of the story say, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That word become is so big. If you take that word out, it just says, I will make you fishers of men. There is an aspect of that that sounds like he will force us to fish for men. But the word become adds in identity and character and it says this is a process. We are becoming fishers of men. I have not already become one. I am becoming. It is a process So as a follower of Jesus, fishing for people is something we always do, but there are certain times on the calendar when some other variables come into play that make fishing for people a little bit easier. And so that's why we're talking about this series, Go Fish, right before we get into Easter. And so here's two quick quick reasons why we're talking about this. First is that there are lots of people who show up to church on Christmas and Easter. They, they, they do because their grandparents asked them to. They do because that's what they've done since they were little kids, but they don't show up the rest of the year. There is something special about Christmas and Easter where, where our culture, at least in America, is more receptive to an invitation to church. And so it makes it all, the much, all that much easier to fish for people this time of year and invite them to church because they're just a little bit more receptive than they would be the rest of the year. Secondly, uh, we hope that it makes it a little bit easier to invite someone when there's something to invite them to that's out of the norm. In case you're new here and you heard Kristen just talk about pony rides and bunnies making animal art and all this kind of stuff and, and a petting zoo, that's not normal. Never done it before that I've been here and, and we probably would only do it once a year if it's a hit, right? And so we, we do this. It's out of the norm because we want inviting people, we want fishing for people to be something that is easy for you. Something that feels like you can do it. So we're going to lay out the red carpet this year because we want this invitation to be as easy as possible with bounce houses, giant bunnies, petting zoos, pony rides, and Easter wonderland. So the heart of this series is pretty simple. Who are your people? Who are your people that are in your path? Who are you praying for? Who are you already in relationship with? Who are you investing in? Who do you sit next to every time your kids have a game and talk about life, talk about work? Who do you eat lunch with every single day? And how might you be able to share your story with them or share your church with them, and maybe even this week? Because Easter's next week, in case you were wondering. Before the record, in case you're like me when I was in school, I did all my homework, but half of it was late. Um, and so if you say, hey, I'm going to fish for people, but I'm going to do it late, and you, your, your person, your people don't show up for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, that's a win. That's awesome. And what happens is if, if you, for the record, if you uh, share your story with your people, but they don't come to church, that's a win. That's awesome. Okay, the, the goal of this series is not to get more people in the seats. The goal of this series is to get our people to be people who fish for people. And sometimes that means more people come in the seats, and sometimes it doesn't. But ultimately, my hope is that you become more like Jesus, not that this room is filled. And I think as you become more like Jesus, this room will get a little bit more attractive because there's more Jesus in here. 
okay? So it's a byproduct, but it's not the goal. Does that make sense? Awesome, good. There was a couple people that said yeah. Um, all right, so let me finish up for us here. We're doing great on time. I told him I wasn't going 45 minutes this week. Um, now, if you've ever thought, but Kyle, I don't have a story. How do I share my story? I don't have a story. I grew up in church. Well, let me tell you, I grew up in church my entire life, and I thought the same thing. I thought if only I could get away for a weekend and sin a whole bunch and then come back to Jesus, I would have this awesome story. <laughs> You're laughing at me, but that was like real thoughts that I have. Um, you're laughing though, because some of you probably like, I get that, right? Um, at least maybe I'm just saying that so I don't feel alone. Um, <laughs> and so if you ever feel like you don't have a story, man, look, I used to think, man, it would be such a cooler story. It would be a way better story to talk about how I walked away from God and I came back to God. I have come to realize the power of, of, of the story of somebody just walking with God, staying consistent. That, that is the most beautiful story. If Jesus wanted it to be different, his life might have looked different. But he, he was perfect, right? He was the church Jewish kids. He knew all the Bible verses. He probably could have flipped there faster than you could. And so if you don't feel like you have a story, the, the, the goal is really just you, you share what was life like before Jesus, when was your Jesus moment, and what's life like now. I hope that your life looks different. I believe that it does. At some point, you, re, you chose to follow Jesus at some point, you realized how freeing it was to live in forgiveness rather than bondage. And that's what you share. That's all you have to share. The power of your story, let Jesus speak for himself. You don't have to try to butter up your story, make it look prettier than it is. Your story is powerful as it is. And if you have one of those stories that you walked away from Jesus and you came back, man, that's a powerful story because there's lots of people who are walking away from Jesus. And it's not my story, but if that's your story, I just want you to know that that's a really powerful story to share with people as is the story of people with Jesus, because your story is powerful. So because God fished for you, and you said yes to Jesus, and you believe that all this Easter stuff is real, as you live your life in relationship with the people that are in your path, allow Jesus to go fish through you. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much um, for for giving us this example of what it looks like to fish for people. I thank you for fishing for me first. I thank you that you've captured my heart and I believe that your story is real. It's not made up. And so God, because I, I stand on this place of belief, would you give me this, this great motivation to fish for people? Would you allow me to be persistent in doing it? God, that would my trust be greater than my doubts? Would you give this church motivation to be people who fish for people? Not so that this church could be bulging at the seams, God, but so that we might look more like you. Help us to have the right heart, the right motivation. God, would you work through us? Would you work um, in us to become more and more like you? It's in your name we pray. Amen.